0: live is presented by seneca resorts and casinos nothing else comes close
1: well due to ongoing uh licensing rights um we are unable to lead with queens we are the champions on the show today but uh marty i just uh wanted you to see a little something that we uh, secured from the Amherst alumni golf tournament yesterday i don't know i hope i hope people can see that on the screen here on msg and welcome in on wgr sports radio 550 but uh this is a little pat on the back here but uh, more importantly a big thank you to uh to the crew at uh fryer and coon insurance uh driven largely by uh uncle tony um fellow teammate trevor and of course, Cindy and Gail, who, uh, you know, along with yours truly rounded out of a some that uh, somehow ended up in a three-way tie for first. And then arbitrarily, I think they chose us as champions. So, uh so well, they went Shirding, through the buddy?
2: list and your back-to-back eagles probably kind of took the cake there. You started the day birdie eagle eagle. So it was pretty, it was, it was something a- I've never experienced. So before. you said Cindy and Gail on your team, did one of them mm-hmm. hit the longest drive at one point?
1: uh if so it would have been cindy um yeah i believe
2: yeah, yeah. i believe i saw her name on the, on the thing there but yeah if if I, i'm know, not saying I, there's some cheating happening but if you have a lady in your foursome and mm-hmm. they get to tee off from way up front and they can hit the ball as far as as us um mm-hmm. you're like literally 40 yards in every hole well that
1: didn't happen a lot uh if at all because. um Trevor, who was at one point an aspiring golf pro. Well, okay. uh, So Trevor uh, from the back tee can still put it 40 yards from the green. And, uh, uncle Tony was taking it personally against the young buck and was matching him yard for yard off the tee. So, you know, my reluctance to hit off the tee. I, I don't even know if I bothered. I think I might've hit driver maybe twice. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe. Like, I just didn't even tee off. Like, we just always used their tee shots. It was unbelievable. Well, so. I
2: will say this. I had a great group also, the Dan Fort mm-hmm. group, which I've been oh. golfing with the last few years. They're awesome. Uh, although, right? Like, so we teed off at 10.30... And at about 11 o'clock, we were made aware that, oh, guys, we're having some uh, technical issues and we may not be able to get on MSG today uh, because of something happening. And so I mentioned it just in my group. Hey, guys, maybe I'll be able to play the whole 18 holes because maybe we're not going to be on the air because there's uh, a little uh, mishaps happening somewhere. And um the panic set in because the Danford guys all have equipment in a mm-hmm. lot of big buildings around the city. And... They were on the phone, like get guys down there, get go, 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 and uh, so it was pretty funny.
1: It is amazing, what what a great group. And you know what? Like we we're lucky enough to have Amherst head coach Seth Appert on the show with us. But yes. what I really appreciate every year with the Amherst alumni is is well the efforts of so many um, past alum that stay so connected to it. But when you see Seth get up and address everyone. After the event, Um, we reiterated this a lot throughout last season that you really kind of need to take what he says seriously, because even when it sounds like something a coach would say to be reasonably protective of a player or promotional of a player Almost 100% of the time last year, it rang true. You know, a player needs to do this or a player is this and keep an eye on this guy. Don't sleep on this guy. And he really, really, really does speak from the heart. And I hope people felt that in the room yesterday after the event, because he wears this Amherst patch very, very, very proudly and takes tremendous pride in leadership of this group. And so I just want to tip the cap to Seth and company, and you know he was part of one of the other what could have been winning groups. So best yes. I, I, I acknowledge that. And uh,
2: and I want to <laughs> say Vinny Prospal's group going. was up there too. Like I mean, there's a guy that spent a lot of time in Florida and Tampa, and Vinnie Prospel's yeah. group was they had 13 under. I think you guys were what 14 under, Duffer?
1: 14 under, yeah. Well, and did you know the birdie eagle eagle start was pretty great. But I, I have to I say, would say, so <laughs> we, we, we ended, we ended on a very, very, very challenging, um, par five 16th, oh, and yeah. we were in front of the green, but with two significant little rolling hills right in front of yeah. the green with the pin tucked right at the front. So of course I completely went under the ball with my sand wedge, um, you know, on my attempt and then. Thankfully, because of course, there's five people in the group, but Gail was really not. She was fighting it. You know, I think she had an upper body injury, so okay. she was really not wanting to take part. So I immediately owned the moment because I knew oh. Trevor and Tony would want to take the next shot, like take the last of the five shots. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I got it. And I put it within about six feet and then I made the birdie putt. So oh, you
2: guys made up. We were we were within probably. I made a six shot. So, you know, the par 317, I believe, was right next. The tee box is right above you on the right-hand side. Yeah. We started
1: on that hole. I came up late to the group because I got lost. Everybody had hit. No warm-up swing. I hit the
2: iron within eight feet, and Cindy makes the pot, and we started with a birdie. Okay. So, but here's on 16. We're right in front of the green, kind of the same thing, and you got to go up in the air, like a lob shot to land it soft and put it right there. Pat Olivetto, um, I, that was with us at the Academy of Hockey, a former college hockey player, or whatever. He's on the 17 tee box. And all they have been like just him and Steve Langdon's group, they've been like they yell every time they make a putt. And I'm like, what is that for double bogey? No, they made a bunch of birdies. They were up there, too. But, uh, you know, Pat is up there and he goes, OK, Marty, show us the good hands here. And I like, I'm like, watch this. And I'm so nervous. I got my 60 degree wedge. And I'm like, I am going to like either call it into the backyard of the beautiful houses that are around the green on 16, or I'm going to hit so much of a divot that the ball is going to pop up for, and I'm telling you, Duffer, smooth, buttery, little 60, hit the ball, went up in the air, landed just past the hole, curled to the left, about five and a half feet. We all missed our putt. Like believe it or
1: not, we oh all missed the putt. Gosh,
2: yes, oh. embarrassing, very embarrassing.
1: <laughs> well, I tend not to. I think I think most people know that I tend not to uh, brag about <laughs> moments <laughs> like this. But I, I'm literally sitting here with this and going, I don't think in my 30 plus years of being invited to charity golf outings that we've ever been a, that I've ever been a part of a winning group. Uh, Congratulations.
2: I I reluctantly would say congratulations.
1: Certainly not, not one that provided a great keepsake trophy like this miniature (laughs) Calder cup. Okay. So Marty, I wanted to, and by the way, um, again, thanks to everybody for their, um, just incredible expression of, um, of thanks, I suppose, which sounds Mm -hmm. strange, but, um, this whole healing, um, process this grieving process i suppose um since rj passed on Thursday, is just so on everyone's mind right yes. and so again i just want uh, we want to thank those who've reached out in person elsewhere um you know to a Appreciate that we've been trying to share as much as we can. And I just wanted to say, looking out to my left over at KeyBank Center, you know, the the memorial is up and um, there just continues to be this wonderful steady stream of people. So it's another beautiful day here in downtown Buffalo. So, you know, if you've been thinking about the opportunity to come down, please do so. Um, you'll be warmed by the incredible amount of um, memories that have been shared, mementos that have been placed at the memorial. And, uh, and you can certainly add to it. And we would love that. Um, and I think, you know, there, there are a lot of stops along the way that that uh, RJ loved. I, I have a feeling he, you know, probably didn't mind going to New York a time or two. Oh, and yeah. uh, And so we were sitting here. We'll get to our teams of the day coming up and kind of get things back to a little bit more normal here on Sabres Live as we continue throughout the week. But, Marty, you know you're part of a really, really, really exclusive New York State club, right?
2: Oh, yeah. Five okay, of us, right? So four, four or five of us?
1: There are five outside of you. So there's a beautiful half dozen now in total that have played for the Sabres, the Rangers, and the Islanders. Can I give who, it a who are, shot? Who are, the, who are the other five?
2: Okay, so Pedro LaFontaine is one of them. Correct. So that's easy. Mike Donnelly, I think, is another yes, one. Yes, and Mike's... Okay. Mike's he Mike's,
1: was the first one, I believe, to do it. He the craziest thing about Mike is he accomplished this in the fewest games. He only, he he played less than 100 total for the three teams, but still managed to get them all in. He played 74 for Buffalo, 22 for the Rangers and three for the Islanders. And were those the only three
2: teams he played for?
1: No, he was okay. No, he but, but still, that's that's a pretty unique way to get the trifecta. So.
2: Very, very unique. I believe he was the first one, uh, I think and so then too. the the second one to have done it was Jason Daw. Jason okay. Daw was the second one to have played for all three teams. That's a good uh, poll
1: because Daw's range. No, of I think that Patty LaFontaine was second,
2: and then Daw was, was third. Second, sorry. Dahl was
1: thir- yes, that yeah, was
2: third. Yeah. I was the fourth one. Mm-hmm. Uh, now I know Taylor Pyatt did, so I've got Taylor Pyatt on the list, and. Wow.
1: Look at you, five for I, five so far, one to go.
2: I'm missing the last one, and I am trying my hardest. It happened
1: within the last seven years.
2: No, I know. It's the most recent probably of all three of Obviously, them. Obviously,
1: if I just said it's in the last seven years, yes.
2: Oh, well, yeah. Because <laughs> we've
1: already established the Taylor other five. Taylor
2: <laughs> Pyatt would have been before that. Um, <laughs> oh, man. I promise I'm
1: listening, even though my hands are over my ears. That's what I feel like with you sometimes. So.
2: Yeah, no, I can't. I I can't come up with the last. He one. plays your position. He's a tender. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, um, Chad Johnson. Yes. Yes. Good for yes. You. You're right. Chad Ocho Cinco Dos Nueve. He was when he was 29, so we call him Dos Nueve.
1: And we've got the graphic support. Donnelly, LaFontaine, Daw, Beron, Pyatt, Johnson. So Jordan LaBarber from Sabers.com was quizzing me on this this morning. And we had narrowed it down to a goalie and I wasn't having any luck. And I said, please give me one more clue. And he goes, he's a nice
2: guy. And I, imme- <laughs> I immediately said, Chad Johnson. Uh, he's a very nice guy. Jordan's that- looking at me
1: like, I- what a ridiculous clue.
2: Duffer, I wasn't working with uh, in the role that I am right now, but I was doing some uh, work with TSN. And at the trade deadline one year, um, the Sabres acquired Chad Johnson, right? You know, when they traded uh, Anders Lindback and whatever, like eh, all the goalies that played well for the Sabres that year got traded out. And I remember.
1: And I think Chad was acquired not to play. He was acquired. He was was hurt and he didn't play at the end of that first term with the sabers
2: yeah but i also chad had a, had a bad year that was a tough year for chad johnson that year mm-hmm. when he got traded to the sabers and i remember being on tsn and uh james Duthie and i are standing there at the desk and he goes what do you make of the sabers making like with all the goalie moves and i I'm starting out like maybe my second, third year in the business. I want to just come out swinging. Right. And I'm like, well, obviously the Sabres don't want to win games. They want to trade all their goaltenders that are doing well. And they want to acquire some that are struggling and Chad Johnson's been struggling. So they don't want to win games. I don't even know if he's going to play for the team or whatnot. And then Literally, I'm not even done with my commentary that they go, uh, we have Chad Johnson on the line right now. Um, and they go to an interview with Chad Johnson. Now I know Chad, I knew Chad because of my time with the New York Rangers. He was the, the third goalie, basically. When I broke my collarbone, he was up with the team. And so I felt so bad. I felt like crap knowing that, oh, this guy, I just carved this guy up on, on TSN and he was listening to it, right? So two things you can do when those things happen. One, you can go and hide, or two, you can show up the next day and show your face into the locker room. So they had a practice Mm -hmm. at Lecom Arbor Center the next day. So I went right into the locker room and went right to Chad, and I said, hey, how you doing? And he goes, that was bull crap what you pulled yesterday. That was awful. I'm like, (laughs) you're right. You're right. I'm like, I'm here because I figured I better show up and just stand right in front of you and say, there was no reason. I was just trying to make a little excitement out of nothing. And I should have been more uh, diplomatic about it. I should have been respectful. I wasn't respectful. And Chad goes, OK, that's OK. We're done with it. Just a nice guy. Right. Like he tried to give me a little something like stand up and then I I owned it. And then he's like, OK, that's good. and And then we sat down and talked like he was a great guy.
1: Well, in the ever blurring lines of journalism and things to that effect, I mean, it's a great lesson. It really is, Um, you know, for anybody who finds themselves in that, you know, where you have a line of questioning and or commentary. um, It is best to certainly get in front of it when you sense that there might be some, you know, misunderstanding involved. And I was correct in my um, assumption there. Chad did not play with Buffalo post deadline yeah. 2015. Now what he did do and not to get too far down the Johnson tangent although remember he's the only Johnson to appear as a saber uh we've only had a Johnson goalie we've not had a Johnson skater yet but we will soon. Um yes. Chad played very very well in the 15-16 season. Um yes. he had a 236 and a 920 you know and this was this was for a team that obviously came up a little shy under Dan Bylsma in making the playoffs and um yeah, it's funny because I feel like a lot of times lately there's been this these references and mm-hmm. and I I look at yeah and again going through like teams of the day and stuff like that, you know Chad Chad did pretty well the second go around with a with the Sabers was a little tougher, um leaner leaner times harder to win. Um, well, whatever. that team in
2: 1516 was the closest the Sabers had come to make the playoffs until this past season.
1: Right, they were an 81 point team and then they dipped and Chad you know went away and came back and anyway so let us get to and great job on the trivia teams of the day and yes. we will start with we're focusing on the eastern conference n teams because we've been going through this process somewhat alphabetically order yeah uh, so we're going to do islanders rangers devils today uh devils of course did not fit the uh criteria of the previous trivia question so we'll focus on the islanders and devils first um when you think of and <clears> this is this was, was a little surprising to me that historically speaking the sabers have a regular season franchise record against the islanders of 88 74 and 25 Wow. it's pretty good especially considering the last 10 years but they're one and three all time in the playoffs and those three playoff losses were all you know back end of the 70s early 80s and it was just it was a time that danny gare often references you know it was just the hurdle that they couldn't get over and what could have been but when you think of sabers islanders what do you think of
2: oh uh i mean i remember and not i wasn't on the team anymore but the 07 playoffs right everybody remembers the rangers series but the sabers beat the islanders in five before that Mm -hmm. the islanders were coached by teddy nolan uh, they needed a save by Wade Dubelwitz in, in a shootout against the New Jersey Devils to get into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. I do remember that. I do remember going to a couple of uh, home games that series um, because I was a fan. We were out of the playoffs in Philly. I just got traded to Philadelphia and I came back as a fan. I remember going to the Nassau Coliseum a few times uh, and having a few battles with uh, Felix Bodvin as a goalie there. My brother played for the New York Islanders, so I remember going you know, and hanging out with him a few times, but on the ice, very little. I had great success against the New York Islanders in my career. The team that I have beaten the most. Now, I don't know how many games that was with the Sabres, but throughout Eight, the
1: three and one. Okay. Eight, three and one. Yeah, But
2: then I, with the Flyers and with the Rangers, I absolutely owned, owned. The New York Islanders, I ended up with 24 wins in my career against the New York Islanders, I believe, which is most against any other team. Um, But other than the fact like this is, again, what I remember, we had a game one night against the Islanders, big snowstorm, but it just started to snow at about five o'clock. Like we're getting to the rink and everybody's there. So they said we're playing the game there was literally like a thousand fans in the building halfway in the first period. They're like, Hey, fans that are sitting at 300 level, please come down to the 100 level to fill the lower seats. And on your way down, stop by the concession for a free popcorn. Like It just was like, what is going on here? But yeah, we did play a game against the Islanders at Nassau Coliseum with probably less than a thousand people in the building because of a snowstorm in New York City.
1: Well, great career numbers for you. Like I said, eight, three, and one, do you want to guess what Hashik was as a saber against the islanders
2: well i was gonna say main I've, I've played a whole lot because that was one of the teams probably he after... played too
1: much actually
2: oh he played too much well,
1: he um... was not good against them no no
2: who was his right as a saber
1: he as a saber he was eight nine and five like you're wow. not finding too many that that's eight wins in 22 decisions and it's not that's, like that's a...
2: This is not a time where the Islanders were really good either. It's not a not dynastic like, oh my era gosh. for the
1: Islanders. No, no, no. Ryan Miller had 16 wins. Donnie Edwards was nine, five and one. Incredibly, this, this jumped off the page for me. The late, well, both have passed Roger much earlier, but Dave Dryden and Roger Crozier combined nine, oh, and three against the Islanders. Now, oh, yeah. the reason that's the case because is the Islanders were terrible out of the blocks like most 70s expansion yeah. teams so so they caught that they caught that initial opening of them in the in the NHL but here's one and now i have to ask you based on your success against the um against the islanders did you and yokin hash ever have like any significant pregame ritual because yokin yo yo never he his scoring pace against the Islanders in his career far exceeds anything offensively he ever. He scored at more than a thirty goal pace against the Islanders. He had All Star. He had fifteen goals in thirty four games against the New York Islanders. I'm looking at it, going like, I love the guy, but that's that's unusual.
2: So I don't remember like vividly Yoken... Um, having that much success, but I mm-hmm. do recall um, a couple of big games from Jochen Hashed against the New York calendars. And that's, mm-hmm. and I, I I believe one of them may have been so we have the lockout about four or five, 05, 06. We start the season, and I'm thinking I'm the number one guy. And Ryan Miller plays the first eight games, right? Or something like that. Mm-hmm. My first game of the season was early November, late October, early November. And in Long Island, I played, and uh, it was a six-four win. I, I I didn't even look it up. I still remember to this day because things that mark you. Right on the mm-hmm. way back, we flew into Buff, we flew back to Buffalo after the game. I got home probably like 1.32 in the morning. I go to bed, and about an hour later, I got a call. We had a sick dog at the time that was actually at Cornell University mm. undergoing treatments and whatnot, and we got a call at 3 a.m. That night, when I came back from Long Island and all of that, that uh, there was one the first time we had dealt with that, with a dog mm. passing away. And uh, we got a call saying, unfortunately, Emmy is uh, – is is gone and um mm. but it still marked me like i remember the game 6-4 win i remember flying home i remember going to bed and a half hour later the phone rang and it was that but you know those things all intertwine right like personal life and professional life all intertwine. so i do remember that vividly um
1: did you like the coliseum dare i, I
2: love the coliseum did you Oh my gosh! Do I? Why did, did you hate I, your
1: time as an Islander so much? I hated
2: my. T- I hated being there every day, but being there once in a while, the um, it, the, the 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 Coliseum had a field that was. It was not a small building, but it felt small, right on top of you, and, and uh, like on the sides, and not so much behind the glass, like behind the nets. People could walk in front of the first row and walk mm-hmm. around, but um, I did like my time playing against the North Islanders. Weird bounces off the glass. When we played against Rick DiPietro, we used to always say, dump it in in the glass because the guy would try to stop everything behind the net. The amount of goals we got off a bad bounce off the glass back to the middle and probably Jochen Hecht like standing right there with a wide open net, right? That's probably why he got so many goals against the Islanders because we were doing the dumping kink type of uh, play off the glass and it worked all the time.
1: I have to tell you what I should have uh, prefaced the whole Hesh thing with is top three goal scorers all time. Sabres versus Islanders. Andrew Chuck is one. Rick Martin is two. Yoko Hesh is three. Like
2: Like that is.
1: It's amazing. That's why I had to dive into his individual, you know, head to heads because I was like, if he's top three, in Sabre's history against this team, it has to be his personal best. Now, only based on, and actually this, see, you know when you love someone or something and there's just all these underlying reasons that you never truly know why? So I was going into the the deep dive thinking, okay, there's no question in my mind. This is the most that Heshtis scored against one team. Well, his scoring rate, yes, goals per game. Yeah. But the actual team that he scored the most against?
2: The Montreal Canadiens. The Maple oh, Leafs, yeah.
1: So why but We played a lot
2: more against those teams, yes. And
1: why wouldn't I love the guy yeah. based on that? You know it's funny, like it's just the some things are just too obvious. So
2: Okay, one last one before we hit the first break. Um, We used to stay at the Long Island Marriott, which basically shared a parking lot with the NASA Coliseum, right?
1: Everyone did.
2: (laughs) Everyone did. And it was, again, it it reminded me of the St. Paul Hotel. If you caught the part about Minnesota last last week, you walked in, the heat was cranked up, static electricity everywhere. Like, it just shocked when you pulled the sheets and everything. But... But all the autograph people in the New York City area would hang out in the parking lot between the hotel and the rink at the morning skate so that you would walk in and have to sign all these autographs. And they had a plan. Those were like highly intelligent autograph seekers. They'd be like, hey, Joe, you hit Duffer while I hit Marty. And then we switch so they won't be able to sneak out like they had a plan as to what player they were going to hit and when. So J.P. Dumont one year, he did not follow through on it, but he wanted to do it so bad is get like the basically the ski mask with just the uh, eyes and the mouth open. And everybody was going to put a ski mask on and we were all going to run through to the, uh, to the NASA Coliseum. So they weren't going to be able to recognize anybody. And we were going to like just keep on going. We never did it, but they were so smart. Those autograph seekers in Long Island were so smart that they would make these elaborate plaques with pictures and cards, right? And they would come to you and they'd say, can you sign these these cards? And then they'd say, hey, look what I made for you. They would give you the plaque. And then you'd be like, oh, this is great. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. And they'd be like, can I get a stick tonight? I'm going to be right by the bench during warm up. Can I get a stick? I gave you a plaque. Can I get a stick? And now you feel bad. You're like, Oh, I don't want the darn plaque. I, I like, I don't want to give you a stick. This is, this is like entrapment. Like you're cornering me, but they were, they, I'm telling you, they were the smartest and they knew exactly what they were doing. So you couldn't get away from the uh, autograph seekers in Long Island.
1: Well, I am personally offended that you drew any sort of comparison to the Long Island Marriott and my favorite yeah, hotel, St. Paul, Saint Paul. <laughs> <laughs> because there couldn't be a more distinct contrast between the walk from the hotel to the arena. St. Paul is flush with parkland, forestry, plaques, yeah. history, Herb Brooks, big or small, and there is nothing between the Coliseum. There's cement and, and blacktop. That's it. Oh, that's, Although, a, that's, a, that's a tough one. But I will say, decent buffalo chicken salad yes. at the Long Island Marriott, but nothing compares to the hotel lobby bar at the St. Paul. So.
2: No, um, and I will say this. Our producer, Joe Pinter, the Sabres game night producer, would be happy for me to mention. One year we got in there, and there was a fish. Like three night concert at the oh. Coliseum. And the lobby was a smoke fest. <laughs> like the lobby of the Long Island Marriott was you couldn't see where you were going. It was smoked up because of all the fans that came back from the fish concert and were staying at oh. the Long Island Marriott.
1: Yeah, one of my first trips into the coliseum i saw rise against the night before it was a pretty good show all right back after this we're doing rangers and devils in our teams of the day oh oh there is news on this day too uh brandon hagel former saber draft pick oh yeah rich man eight years 52 million with tampa we're back after this stay with us on sabers live you are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois.
0: We're back with more of Sabres Live. Presented by Seneca Resorts and Casinos. Nothing else comes close. Buck goes to the boards, though? The Rangers. Here's Drury after it in the corner. Drury spun it out in front. There's the shot. Blocked in
2: front. Rebound. Oh! score. Chris
0: Drury. Once, once. Chris Drury has tied it at one with 7.7 seconds to go! Oh, brother!
1: Teams of the day, we're talking Islanders, Rangers, Devils, and obviously, Marty, there was no way we were going to pass up an opportunity to relive that moment again right now. Man. Pretty amazing.
2: Pretty amazing. And I remember watching this game on TV. I remember the RJ call, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, And I remember Lindy Ruff's press conference after the game when he talks about and we know Maxim Fennec enough is going to score in overtime, but when he talks about everything that had to go right for the Drury goal to happen to mm. and he oh. singled out Thomas Vanek, but the fact that Vanek was about to go for the puck, right? And then he saw Drury and Vanek lift his left leg just ever slightly and open it up. And Drury was able to put it in and score. And I remember Lindy saying, like, to Thomas Vanek, having the presence of mind to to turn his body in a way for the door to open for Drury to score. Like, I, I wasn't even on the team. And I I remember people asking me... What be honest. Do you want the Sabers to win a cup? Absolutely. I was like, I want them to win a cup. I'm part of this team. I wasn't a part of this team, but I felt like a part of this team. So I went through the ups and downs with them throughout that series, and uh, the ups ended up winning.
1: Pretty sure, right there in the corner is where zubris won a battle for the puck yeah. off the face-off, and that's the overlooked thing in all of it. Right? We yes. talk about it all the time. It's not the actual direction of the puck taken off of a face-off. It's how you go about winning it after the fact and it doesn't happen there without Zubras. and well, well here's
2: my contribution to this game because I got traded so that the Sabres would have enough money on the cap to be able to get Damian, Z- Damian Zubris so there's my mm-hmm. contribution I was factoring on the play because me being traded welcomed uh, Zubris into the team
1: yeah, by extension, you were there, and, you know... As that would have all...
2: been a penalty in, in the middle of the first period, though. Zubris basically tackled a, a Ranger player down. That's why the Rangers were complaining about but yeah. look at him grabbing whoever I think the was... other guy
1: might have grabbed first, but anyway. It's neither here nor there. Let's not ruin I love it. Story. I love
2: it. Let him play. Let him play, boys.
1: Okay, so all-time, the Sabres are 87, 73, and 39 against the New York Rangers. Yeah. Now... The Rangers um have a distinct place in Sabres playoff history. Okay. Did you know that there are only 3 teams that Buffalo has multiple playoff series wins against yet 0 Playoff series losses against Buffalo's two and oh, all time against the Rangers in postseason play. The first being a 78 best of three, and then obviously the 07, incredibly memorable one that we just talked about. Who are the other two teams that Buffalo has? And they're in the West, two and O franchise playoff records against.
2: Oh, wow. Um, I'm gonna say the Minnesota North Stars.
1: Nope, lost to them,
2: lost to them. Okay. Uh, they're in the West.
1: Mm-hmm. These were oh. early, early days back when you had one for 16. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Ball
1: prelim series and
2: the California golden seals.
1: <laughs> no, they were never good enough to make it Chicago <laughs> and Vancouver are the okay. only two other ones. Yeah. And both. I kept Vancouver thinking in were... the
2: East, like, Oh no, you remember? Well, actually that year the Sabres lost to Ottawa, but they had beaten Ottawa in the previous matchups. The Montreal mm. Canadians, obviously, you know, they, they, The Canadians were strong <laughs> in a mm-hmm. part of the Sabres history, so that wouldn't have happened either.
1: Well, uh, the great Gilbert Perrault, uh, 30 goals in 61 lifetime games against the Rangers, more than a point a game is the leader there. Hoshik Miller, 13 wins apiece against the Rangers. Jerry Desjardins, my goodness, 7-0-3 lifetime against yep. the Rangers. And Marty Beran, 7-2-3. and It would appear you
2: enjoyed that matchup. I love playing at MSG more like more than any other building. MSG was always fun from the walking into the building and and it's still the same way. You get dropped off at, at street level, the corner of 34th Street and 7th Avenue, and then you got to walk up the ramp. And by the time you get to the end of the ramp, you're kind of winded a little bit. And back in the days when the circus was still at MSG, sometimes in the middle of the season, you'd get up to the top of the ramp and there'd be a couple of elephants, maybe zebras. There would be like all kinds of animals up there, uh, which Any was unicorns. Cool. There's no unicorns. Uh, well, I mean, you could put a unicorn in a zebra and call it a unicorn, but... Oh there you go. Just because you wanted that graphic to come on TV uh on MSG. That's awesome. Uh but it was it was cool the the locker rooms before the renovations was basically two rooms. You had a room with the defensemen and the goaltenders and then you had a room with the forwards. And I loved it because I didn't have to deal with the crazy forwards and, you know, it was us the D and the goalies. We were in a room together. That was awesome. And I remember one game, Duffer, I played at wow. MSG early in my career, maybe 99-2000. Had a really, really good game. And after the game, I was asked to go to the American Express uh studio and got interviewed by John Davidson. And I got a card, a hundred dollar gift card from American Express. I remember giving it to Jim Pizzatelli as a thank you for everything that he did for me and all of that. But um man, what a what a thrill. You're the visiting team, and I got to go in the studio with John Davidson and get a post-game interview. It was like wearing that Hockey Nine Canada towel around your neck.
1: You know, the first ever playoff series between the Sabres and Rangers in 78 featured J.D. at one end of the ice and Don Edwards at the other. The wow. Sabres won the best of three, two out of three. And yet it was actually the the Rangers were good. And the next year they went all the way to the final and lost to Montreal. So, it, I mean, and J.D. was just kind of carving out his... His place in New York sports history, really, at that time. I mean, they would never have got to the final in 79 without his his brilliance. And He was, yeah, he he, was brilliant. He, he, was, he was a legend in the making, for sure. Um, I saw now, Dominic Aschek
2: make one of his best save at MSG against the Rangers on Manny Malhotra. Uh-huh. And Manny Malhotra was just a rookie. We're talking about 98, 99, maybe. And I was in the stands. I got called up in case uh, somebody was sick or hurt, but I didn't play and Malhotra was in the slot, and Dom was laying on his right side, kind of a two-pad stack with laying on his right arm, right shoulder. Malhotra took a step to his left, and Dom decided to do the windmill pads over and made the save on the other side. And Malhotra was like, (laughs) like, his face was just a bewilderness. It was so awesome. I was sitting in the middle of Rangers fans, and they were like, we're not worthy. Like their yeah. RJ call because of Dominic Ashick save.
1: Yeah. Now, very, very quickly. Otherwise, we're not going to stalk the Devils. Um, You did have a less than memorable night against the Rangers yeah. at home. Is that correct?
2: It is correct. It was November 22nd in 2005. And my, like In the middle of my 13 consecutive start uh, win streak. Mika Noranen started a game and late in the third period, early overtime, he started to get hurt, like he pulled a groin or something. So we go into a shootout and Marty Stryker comes in on the first shot and he scores. And then Lindy goes, Marty, you're going in. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm going in for what? The shootout? He goes, yeah. He goes, Mika's hurt. You're going in. The referee won't allow the change, but in the end, they allow the change. First player I saw was. Uh, Michael Nylander, he came in and he decided to just go to the forehand. He scored. I I, I mean, seriously, last time I saw a shot was like three and a half hours ago. And Nylander comes in and then we're still in the game, right? Yaromir Jagr has to come in and score to win it for the Rangers. And I'm thinking my best chance on Yags is probably to try a poke check. I tried to poke check. He shot at blogger side and ended up sitting in the net and the game was over. So I lost the game technically in overtime, but it wasn't a start. So it didn't affect my consecutive uh, 13 game streak of winning uh, uh, as a starter.
1: Right now quickly. And, you know, that, that was a tough one tough way to lose obviously for the team and for you coming in cold in that situation the Devils and Sabres history features still just that one playoff matchup to date back in 1994 yep. memorable game six win for Buffalo and Dave Hannon but a loss in game seven I suspect that in the very near future we're going to see Devils Sabres again in the postseason head-to-head I think we're long I overdue um, when it comes to all-time head-to-head 59, 59, and 24, Buffalo and New Jersey since the Devils started in 82, Don't say my record
2: against the Devils, please. Don't mention my record. Uh, Well, I
1: may get there. Um, What was interesting to me was that Mike Foligno, the all-time, I mean, not all-time, but like one of the greatest goal scorers ever against 17 in 22 head-to-head games. Like, so Mike was dominant against them. Rasmus Dallin has been elite in his young career, 18 points in 18 games against New Jersey. Uh Who could forget Ethan Prowse, and? NHL debut, first goal, first game against New Jersey, and he scores the goal. Ryan Miller, just above 500. Hashik, just above 500. Tom Barrasso, 9 1 and 1. I guess that's what gets you into the Hall of Fame and yes. his two cups. And Marty Baran, 2 6 and 2 oh. as a Sabre against the Devils.
2: Uh, oh, I, I didn't fear, fare good against the Devils. I hated playing in the Meadowlands in that air, continental airline arena. And it was just a law of a building, bad locker room. Oh, it was just awful. But I do remember, I do remember a game against the Devils in 2003, 2004, the season before the lockout, the first season where Tom Galassano was the owner of the team. He decided it'd be fun to have a Sabres regular season game in New Jersey. So uh, not in New Jersey, in Rochester against the New Jersey Devils. (laughs) So it became the Rory Fitzpatrick versus Brian Gianta kind of bowl, right? Because two Rochester native Head-to-head head against one another. So we had a 2-2 yeah. two, two tie on November the 12th, 2003 in Rochester in front of a packed house, 11,500, I believe. But what I remember out of this is the ice was really bad. The ice was like not NHL ready. It was hot in the building. And the Devils and Marty Brodeur especially kept complaining because Brodeur loved playing the puck. And he couldn't handle the puck. The these had a tough time handling the puck. But uh, I read a quote of mine. I pulled up the game and I read a quote of mine today. I made like 35 saves on 37 shots or something like two, two tie. good game. Mm-hmm. And I said, and, and I quote myself here. It's terrible. Well, I knew they were a good team. So I was going to need to come up with a couple of big saves, which I did give us a tie. <laughs> what was I doing? Like I, I told I told reporters that I had a good game and I made a couple of big saves and that's why we had a tie. Like brutal, very very brutal.
1: Oh, you've come a long way since then with the gift <laughs> of the gab, haven't you? Uh,
2: well, maybe a little bit better, but that uh, just an embarrassing quote in the paper, that's for sure.
1: Oh man, anything else uh, from a sight line? I mean, it was a home game for you. You're an Amherst Hall of Famer, after all. You were yeah. back in Rochester, like. For some, especially goaltenders, it might be an awkward transition, lighting-wise, sight lines, that kind of stuff. I'm assuming you felt pretty comfortable.
2: Felt pretty comfortable. It was fun. It was fun playing in front of a packed house. Reminded me of my, you know, like days with uh, the Amherst and uh, the packed houses in the playoffs. It was it was definitely awesome. Uh, again, quickly, Continental Airline Arena. Hated the place. Hated the place when I even didn't wasn't playing. I was the backup. Mm-hmm. If you were to back up on the bench, I literally wore my mask as the backup on the bench when we played in New Jersey, because there was the photo boot was next to you. There was no glass from about the ash marks on inside the zone to the bench. Every time a D came around the net and took a full slap shot to clear the zone, it came on the bench. It was one of the most dangerous location for the backup goaltender to be in.
1: Well, quite a theme of Rochester being uh, woven through our show today. It was a tie back then between the Sabres and Devils in Rochester. It was a tie yesterday at the Amherst Alumni Tournament, but somehow we got the tiebreaker. We're back to wrap after this on Sabres Live. Stay with us.
0: Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way.
1: presented by seneca resorts and casinos nothing else comes close one of the most common questions we get asked at this time of year hey when's uh when's the season ramp up for you well i'll tell you it always feels like it starts with the prospects challenge and we are less than a month away and there's ten dollar tickets on sale right now for this annual event at lecom harbor center sabers bruins habs devils sends pens all part of the prospects challenge mid-September. Check it out now. Sabres.com prospects. It's all part of FanFest weekend as well, so you want to keep that in mind. Okay, we zipped through a Teams of the Day, Marty, and we did Islanders, Rangers, and Devils, and had some significant fun along the way. Big, big, big windfall, though, for a former Sabre draft pick today. What do you make of uh, Brandon Hagel coming off a 30-goal season, eight years, $52 million?
2: OK, so it's six and a half million a year for Brandon Hagel. And I, I listen, I think it's a fair contract. Now, he is 24 years old, so you still are going to get the best years of his career. You talk about he coming off 30 goal, 34 assists um, the year prior to that. He had 44 points in 77 games, so he's going to get you. Fifty-five to seventy points a year, I, and he's going to get more playing time in Tampa. So I do believe six and a half million for Brandon Hagel is a fair market uh, price. You think of Cousins and Thompson at seven and uh, seven point one, or what's what's so? Um, Hagel should be under that, and he was at six and a half.
1: Got to go. But one or two words on Bernier retiring from the Devils.
2: Um, very good goaltender. Just um, you know, got injured a few times. Too many.
1: Good guy on and off the ice. Good guy on and off the ice. See you tomorrow. T-Mobile has
0: invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today.